this is a random question, but um, Brad Falchuk and Ryan Murphy, straight, very straight, right? Ryan Murphy's gay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Can we keep that in? I'm Ellie. And I'm Libby. And this is Into the Murphyverse, a podcast where we dive into the TV made by one of the most powerful, most successful, most ambitious men in modern television, Ryan Murphy. If you've ever seen Glee, American Horror Story, Pose, Scream Queens, American Crime Story, The People vs. OJ, The Politician, Hollywood, Ratchet, this show is for you. On today's episode, we're talking about LGBTQ plus representation in the Murphyverse. Ryan Murphy has been quoted as saying, I made gay sidekicks the leads. We do see that to be true in many of his shows. We see queer representation in Pose, Ratchet, Hollywood. We see same-sex relationships being celebrated in Glee, The Politician, The Prom. It's undeniable that Ryan Murphy has been bringing LGBTQ plus characters to the forefront for over a decade. But there's more to be said about this. We want to look at the ebb and flow of queerness in the Murphyverse, starting in 2009 with Kurt and Blaine, and ending with a character who has just recently graced the Netflix screen, Halston. We want to ask questions like, are Ryan Murphy's queer characters too male, too cis, and too white? Do we see enough intersectionality in the Murphyverse? And finally, is Ryan Murphy a lesbophobe? We also want to bring in a guest star, our cousin and token straight contributor for this episode, Rosie Haberberger. Thank you for having me. Um, I've been listening for a while. And I, you know, I text you every time we put an episode out and I'm honored to be on. (laughs) We're honored to have you as one of our five listeners. Yes. (laughs) Before we get started, if you'd be so kind as to give us a follow or a rating wherever you listen to podcasts, that would be great. And if you have any feedback, DM us on Instagram. Our ads are in the description of this episode. All right, let's dive into the Murphyverse. I would just like to say that I've done no research on whatever show Halston that is. <laughs> Wait, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like a, it's a Ryan Murphy show on Netflix that has gotten like zero attention about some gay white male fashion designer. So <laughs> <Love>. classic. <laughs> so like we said, let's start with Glee. Um, when it came out in 2009, we saw a lot of representation of characters who hadn't been portrayed on screen all that much before and some of those characters were queer characters so we have Kurt and Blaine as two gay characters um I know Kurt's coming out during that single ladies episode um (laughs) was the first coming out scene I'd ever seen and it maybe wasn't a huge surprise given the intro to that episode of the single ladies dance but it was still I think an important moment in tv history we have Brittany and Santana two queer characters from Glee. Um, Brittany is bi and Santana's a lesbian. And um, with he- here we get a little bit, maybe more in the weeds um, because I don't know about you, but I always saw Brittany's queerness as not being validated as much as Kurt and Blaine. I would say the same goes for Santana too. Yeah, although I don't have a very strong memory of the later seasons of Glee, I remember Santana's whole like, coming to her queerness and coming out but I have no recollection of that happening with Brittany it was always sort of like Brittany's too dumb doesn't have enough sense of herself to really understand her own sexuality stuff like that and maybe not that she was just 
too dumb to know herself, but even maybe that she was manipulated by Santana. Um, I think that's the vibe that I got when I first watched the show, um, that I never really saw Brittany as having any agency. She was just like, oh yeah, if I ever break up with Artie, like I'll be your girlfriend, I guess. Um, when Santana sort of like forced her to do that. Um, yeah, I think that's very problematic by representation. Her sexuality is also defined by her relationships. Right. And we don't see a personal journey with her to find her sexuality as a lot of high schoolers probably deal with. Um, it's just dependent on who she happens to be with, which is, I think, pretty toxic to portray to young people. I, as much as I do love the Britney Santana storyline, I do think a little bit of it is there for the straight viewer. Yeah. Because 100%. they're both hot and they're <laughs> both um, very femme presenting. And there's a lot of them kissing. And, you know, there are definitely like some, I wouldn't say sex scenes, but scenes where they're doing things physically. And I think it's just another example of how lesbian relationships are misrepresented. We also have some queer coded characters in Glee who weren't necessarily labeled as queer um, and maybe were labeled as heterosexual, but um, Coach Sue being one of them, uh, maybe just because it was played by Jane Lynch, but maybe <laughs> because she had a little bit of like butchness to her. Um, also Coach Beast played by Dot Marie Jones. Um, and then we also had Unique Adams. Do you remember her? I do, okay. yeah. Yeah, because she um, was first introduced as Wade Adams, and it soon revealed that she'd like to be referred to her alter ego. It was first kind of called an alter ego in the, in the show. Um, they never, they didn't say she was trans at first. Um, and so her alter ego was unique, and she performed as unique, and she wore heels and dresses, even though people knew her as a boy in school. Um, and the crowd went wild for unique, but she faced backlash for dressing femme. And I think they made Sue Sylvester transphobe for a little bit there, trying to blackmail Unique. I remember her trying to compromise with Will saying um, he had to <laughs> stop the kids from twerking. And if he did, then she would allow Unique to like use like the women's restroom or maybe like a faculty bathroom or something like that. Um, so there was definitely some transphobia there, but also Will should not have been twerking. So <laughs> it's a multi-layered problem <laughs> for real. Yeah. And to, and to, as you know, Sue's kind of a bully, but she also has a big heart and to paint her as transphobic wasn't really all that believable to me. I mean, she's, she's also very homophobic. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Yeah. I think she's just a hater, um, a hater. but not Doesn't in a matter way. who you are. Yeah. But I think that's also like, it's different. Her homophobia, I think is different from her transphobia, just because you know that the show is not very homophobic. You know that it's created by gay people and they're sort of making fun of themselves. And Jane Lynch is a gay people herself. And so it doesn't <laughs> come off as offensive, but because there's not as much um, trans representation behind the scenes in Glee, it just, it feels very different. 
that transphobia on screen. That's a very good point. Glee also did what a lot of other shows have done, which is having a cis woman play a trans man um, in other shows, you know, have cis men playing trans women uh, with Coach Beast storyline, because Coach Beast is actually a trans man. Um, he was introduced first as, you know, sort of like a queer coded straight woman. Um, and so that is another weird little problematic area with glee and trans representation. Absolutely. I know Rosie has a few opinions on that. Oh, I have such an opinion on Coach Beast. On Coach Beast. Um, and I think I had an opinion on Coach Beast like um, from the beginning of when she appeared in the series because when she first appeared in the series, I forget what season it was. It was like, I don't remember, but she was, she came on as this masculine presenting straight woman, which is great. You know, it's awesome to have that kind of representation. I mean, obviously I'm a, it's not something I could personally identify with, but it was cool to see something else in the series that wasn't just, oh, this person is presents as they might look like another gender, they might look mask or femme, and they're still LGBT. Like it, it was cool to have someone who was presenting masculinely, more masculinely, that wasn't necessarily gay. And she she had a relationship with a man. Um granted it was abusive. So it's like great, let's make this person who's doesn't look cis have an abusive relationship but then they added the whole transgender storyline which was just like when they did that it felt like oh you can't be a woman who looks masculine without being trans and at that point glue was still such an influential show that i feel like that made that could have made some real damage in the media so i know probably when it happened i think i was up in arms about it with you guys because it was disappointing I don't know what you guys thought of it yeah and I think part of the disappointment is if you're going to have a character you know explore their gender representation and transition and come out as trans and as a trans man maybe cast a trans man or you know cast somebody who knows that experience um I think that's you know if if they were going to use that storyline from the start um maybe they should have put more thought into it right and i also think maybe the issue is um or part of the issue is that we're now more comfortable thinking about gender identity and, and expression as two separate things that sometimes collide and sometimes don't and in the early 2000s and 2010s um that just wasn't as discussed, I guess, or it wasn't as much of a distinction. Um, and so that could have been part of the confusion about like, oh, someone who I who expresses themselves more masculinely can't be um, a woman and can't be a cis het woman. I think it also speaks to beyond the <clears throat> the cultural implications, I think it also speaks to probably how unprepared the writers were for just planning out the whole series because it, it seems pretty obvious when they do that they probably did not plan to have that happen all along they probably just said oh let's do something interesting and make beast trans without understanding the um the way that could do some real damage to people who are 
straight women who express themselves a bit more masculine or look a bit more masculine. Yeah, I think that's a common theme with Glee is just when things are getting too boring or they don't know what to do, they throw in a very heavy topic and mishandle it very poorly. Um, like school shootings. What else do they do? Like eating disorders, I, I, I think. thought of the school shooting. Um, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was one of them. Um, yeah, and definitely the eating disorder, right? When um, in, in once everyone had graduated and they brought in like Marley and all them, that was Marley, right? Oh, mm-hmm. I was even thinking when Mercedes was wanted to be a cheerleader, wasn't that something? Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah. So multiple examples, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in my mind, I think about the beginning of Glee when it was such this new idea to be talking about LGBT people who especially young LGBT people in high school having these relationships in high school. People who I'm sure look to that show for representation now are probably a little bit disappointed because that was, I think, a very careless choice in the writers to do that yeah Yeah. they fumbled the bag for sure they did fumble they fumbled it big (laughs) is also this is a random question but um brad falchuk and ryan murphy straight very straight right ryan murphy's gay (laughs) what (laughs) can we keep that in which kind of makes sense why he is obsessed with cis white gay men (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh yeah exactly seriously so it's like if you weren't a white gay man it's like let's make him have like a a storyline that i can relate to so it is an uncontested fact that ryan murphy has done more for lesbian representation probably than most other television producers and for that we thank him however we have our suspicions about some (laughs) lesbophobic tendencies of mr murphy and so we're just going to throw out some ideas, maybe some accusations, and, you know, let them percolate in your brain and think, see what you think. So first of all, um, there are some instances in Ryan Murphy shows where lesbians play mean, mannish, or evil characters, whether they are straight or gay. And oftentimes, his lesbian characters are cast as very femme women. And those characters are often pretty mean as well. Um, There's a lot of the villainous lesbian trope that can be found in Ryan Murphy's shows. So some examples, first of all, as we've already discussed, Sue Sylvester, um, queer coded, but straight, um, sort of the villain of the show, although, you know, we love her and she's sort of an anti-hero by the end of it. Sarah Paulson as Allie in AHS, who, if you remember, um, isn't the main villain. I would argue that her wife is the main villain, Um, but she does like kill her wife. So that's pretty scary. And then she joins like a cult. So that's not good. Also, her wife was is also gay and was a villain. So that that fits in with that role. Um, And it also took Ryan Murphy sort of a long time to give Sarah Paulson a gay role. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, she played, from what I hear, she played a lot of straight roles um, with the first few seasons of American Horror Story, which is interesting. Yeah. And now we come to the main event, at least in my mind, which is Ratchet, which is an extremely interesting case. 
because in a lot of ways, it's one of his best shows for lesbian representation, um, but it also has maybe the most problems, which is interesting. So it's one of the only shows I know of or movies or any sort of media where the main character and the love interests are both played by queer women. Can you think of any others? Not right off the bat, no. Yeah, exactly. And usually um, in shows and movies that center like a lesbian couple, the it's usually like the sidekick is played by a queer woman. Um, and so it's interesting that in this, that it's not the case. And I think that's really exciting. Um, the two main characters, of course, are Sarah Paulson and Cynthia Nixon. And, but the thing about Ratchet is that it gives a backstory for one of the most notorious literary villains of all time, Nurse Ratchet. And so there, I would say there are three main, there are three main additions that Ryan Murphy gives to the backstory of Nurse Ratchet. One, that she was a nurse in World War II. So you can see where some of that trauma might come from. She also like killed someone out of mercy. So that's sort of like a moral, moral gray area. The second is that she has a murderous brother, which is another sort of moral gray area. Like, do you prioritize your family or um, the law or like justice or whatever? And third, she's a lesbian, which <laughs> I would argue is a problematic way to chronicalize the backstory of a villain. Um, it's a very common way to do it. I mean, how many gay villains have you seen or queer coded villains um, in media? But definitely not the best, especially given Ryan Murphy's history of queer representation. What do you think right. about that? I agree with that. I think too, if we're gonna go down the route of um, queer coded villains, I think, you know, it's, you, villains have always been sort of portrayed as maybe more campy, you know, more mm -hmm. dramatic, more over the top. Cruella um, de Vil. That, I was literally picturing Cruella de Vil <laughs> as I was saying the that. The voodoo um, man from Princess and the Frog. <laughs> haven't like, seen that one but yeah any Disney villain basically yeah yeah they're always going to be more campy and therefore mm -hmm. more queer coded um so that mm -hmm. I would say that is problematic um and again I love a campy character but right it doesn't mean that you have to incorporate lesbianism into the villainous backstory and it's that doesn't even scratch the surface of all like the um, racial coding of villains just to recognize that there yeah there's very there's a slew of problematic ways to characterize and signify a villain but gayness is just one of them <laughs> exactly um, and I, I do want to say there's definitely a difference between having like a a flawed queer character and or like an anti-hero queer character or like a funny mean queer character as Trixie Mattel and Katya say, I don't know her last name, um, <laughs> they, they said that it was really boring when all gay characters had to be nice to make up for all of the bad representation in the past. And I agree, it's fun to have a mix of representation. And I, don't, I think we've moved beyond the point where we have to have all positive re representation. However, there's a difference between that and one of the most famous villains in 
American literature um, and her backstory being that she's gay and that's why she's evil. Exactly. I, I agree with that entirely. As a fan of Sex and the City um, and knowing Cynthia Nixon in yes. other shows, what's your opinion on her character in Ratched? Um, I thought, I honestly thought it was pretty good. I liked her. Um, I liked how there was a show showing older people um, having these uh, experiences for the first time um, because a lot of Ryan Murphy shows are young, hot people doing young, hot things. And it was cool to have it, have see an LGBT relationship LGBT relationships where it's obviously not just there because it's hot and you want to like not saying old people aren't hot but (laughs) not saying Sarah Paulson is a MILF but so do you know what a MILF is have you seen that video (laughs) no I haven't oh my god it's it's like this crazy Christian lady trying to explain why monster the drink is demonic oh yes do you know what a MILF is I just, I'm not familiar with the specific lines from that video, but I do know the sentiment. Um, yeah, I just, I think that it's it's good to have it there. And I think that it kind of shows growth on his part. And I think all the times when Ryan Murphy makes, um, like when he has villains that are gay, he doesn't really understand the implication of it. Um, like Versace. I mean, I know that that's a historically accurate villain who was gay but I think the fact that they made him seem like this serial lover who was just taking advantage of a rich man who wanted to sleep with a with a young guy I think kind of playing off of that a lot just made it not good also Ratchet had a really weird and sort of badly written plot line so there are other problems besides the representation but I still loved it I'll watch season two. too. So like we said, Ryan Murphy has done a lot for lesbian and queer women's representation on screen, but I think we can agree we've seen a lot of the same from him when it comes to just cis white gay men. Um, And I guess it kind of makes sense because that's what he is and that has been you know the norm for portraying queerness in media for so long um i think of the assassination of gianni versace boys in the band curtin blaine obviously um this show halston that came out this year that has gotten like no attention but of course there are caveats to that we have pose which is a great show with phenomenal characters and great representation, although it has been criminally passed over during awards season, um, which we can all agree is a crime. Um, I, along the lines of him giving a lot of representation to cis white gay men, um, the show Hollywood is interesting because in a way it tries to give a history of the segregation and racism in Hollywood, especially in the 30s, I believe. Um, But the main heroes of the show are cis white gay men. And for me, the message, the central message of the show that I found was that white gay men saved Hollywood. 
and made it what it is today. And that was just very strange, a very strange loop. Right. Then again, we are creating a podcast on how a white cis gay man has saved TV from whatever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> no, David Chase saved TV. Have you ever read any articles about the TV revolution? Oh, like in the in the 80s, 90s? And he created Sopranos. Oh. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Interesting, yeah, talking about queer history and TV. Um, I think it's important to note that Ryan Murphy has also directed, I think produced mostly, um, three documentaries about queer history or queer people through history. One, A Secret Love, which is about two lesbian elder women who, who come out to their family 70 years into their relationship. It's a very sweet documentary. Um, Circus of Books, which is um, a documentary about a couple taking over a Los Angeles adult bookstore in 1976, and it becomes the biggest distributor of gay porn in the United States. And Pray Away, which just came out recently, which are stories of evangelicals who broke out of a sect of Christianity that believes in conversion therapy. Um, and I have seen A Secret Love. I haven't seen the other two. Um, but I think it's, I think it's important and also good that um, he kind of expands the reach of talking about queer history through TV um, into the documentary genre. So I think that's kind of fun. Help! He's escaping! The killer is escaping! Help me! Welcome to the Sarah Paulson Corner, where we discuss all things Sarah Paulson. For this episode. We are giving our review of the first four episodes of Impeachment, American Crime Story. So let's just start out with some numerical ratings. Out of 10, one being the worst, 10 being the best, where do you see impeachment right now? I know I would give it a 6.5. Interesting. I would say if OJ is the 9.5, Versace is a 5, then impeachment is like is 7.5. Really? Yeah. I see impeachment below Versace. I like Me Versace. Too. Me too. I don't know about you, but I'm not in- that engaged by impeachment. And I, hmm, I don't know if it's because of, I think Sarah Paulson actually is one of the reasons why I'm liking it. It's, it's that there or else you'd be kicked many- off this Zoom call. Agreed, agreed. I think that there's a lack of other side characters that I'm invested with and it moves very slowly. I think the like, okay, I know I said numerical ratings. Now, if you were to graph it on a on a graph, <laughs> it would just on be like a line chart line. or bar yeah. or plot. A, a plot, a plot, a plot graph. So but it would just be a straight, it would just kind of be a straight line with maybe some waves. It just hasn't. I'm also disappointed there's no use of music that's like that's what bugs me the most I when thinking about Versace some of the most memorable moments in Versace were music related like yes man eater Gloria Mm -hmm. Gloria iconic easy lover yes Adagio and D or yes forget exactly we have nothing for 
Lewinsky impeachment. I also, okay, another issue I have with it is the time, the the way they deal with time in it. I have no idea when is before things happen, when is after things happen, when is during. It's it's jumping around a lot. And, you know, if they did it correctly, I would not have a problem. But I don't like the way they're doing it. That was true with Kisachi too. I got confused about timing. I feel like it was more pleasant to watch though in Versace impeachment is just I'm not impressed by costumes sets anything like that really probably because it's revolves around government jobs which is not very exciting but I don't know I'm just I don't find it visually appealing to me it feels and I wonder I've noticed like for shows filmed during the height of the pandemic everything feels a little sparse and I think it feels a little sparse maybe because it was filmed during the pandemic um but I think there are ways to fix that and we didn't really fix them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I definitely agree that the aesthetic and music is so much better in Gianni Versace, but I don't know. I think I'm more engaged in the plot of impeachment. Like whenever they had a long scene about Andrew Kananen crying or like trying to find clothes or whatever, I just wanted to skip through it. Um, and I don't feel the same way about impeachment. And I, I will never say anything against Sarah Paulson. She can do no wrong in my book. But I find her maybe emotions or reactions to things just so hard to read. Agreed. Like the moment when, mm, this is sort of a spoiler, but we all know in history that there's a blue dress that's then used as evidence, yeah. right? So the moment that that's revealed, you would think for her to be like, there'd be some zoom into her face, like this is going to be evidence or this is an important part. And she just kind of stands there. I think the problem is that her whole face is prosthetics. <laughs> her teeth are fake. Her nose is fake. Her brow is fake. Like how, how is she supposed to make readable emotions when she's just sure. covered in plaster? Like, I don't know. I think that's a huge problem too. And it's like, it's hard she's hard to read as a character in general and like her smiles are really creepy even when I don't know if they're supposed to be um yeah I definitely think that's a problem I definitely after while watching this I want to learn more about Linda Tripp Mm -hmm. because I do know a lot about the whole impeachment trial in general and the situation but I don't know that much about Linda Tripp I'm gonna do some googling watch (laughs) some videos maybe because I, I don't know how good of a job she's doing with it. I mean, it's Sarah Paulson, so I'm sure it's great. But I'd like to see the real the real gal. Mm-hmm. And now that I've seen four episodes, I do understand why they made her like the second the second main character. Whereas before I was like, this seems like an odd choice to make the whole show revolve around Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp um, instead of like, you know, maybe the investigative journalists or even uh Monica's mom who I know played a huge part um who we haven't seen yet I don't think have we one I think there's one clip of her calling her mom and you see her mom laying in bed just like a late night oh, okay call I think yeah I think it yeah. was the end of an episode I believe when she was talking about um like kissing the president right didn't she say huh. that I think so oh yeah, yeah yeah I wonder if she'll play a bigger role later on then because she's the one who handed in the dress, I think. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. 
Um, I do think the crime, the main crime is not including some good 90s music. Yeah. Missed off Maybe Ryan Murphy's tired. Do you think it was like the show was like half-assed because it was a pandemic thing? I get oh. a little sense of that, but maybe maybe I'm too harsh. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't, I feel like it misses, it's missing a lot of the hallmarks of a Ryan Murphy production, which is a little disappointing. Yeah. I kind of feel that way about the new American Horror Story too. I know you guys don't watch, but I haven't been able to get through it. I've seen one episode, so can't really comment on it, but. He seems spread a little thin in his projects lately. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Murphy, it's a struggle. <laughs> Seriously, you should listen to this. Another crime. <laughs> Another crime of impeachment is that Edie Falco has only had really two scenes: one where she's just washing her hands, and the other where she's sleeping. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, very upsetting. It's like they picked a stunt double for that sleeping like you don't even see her face you just see the hair like yeah very odd it's like you can't say that Edie Falco is in something without having Edie Falco really be in it that's yeah just maybe she'll maybe she'll pl- play a bigger role later when it's all revealed um because that's probably going to be more interesting as you know Hillary Clinton's reactions and everything but still like it just seems weird to pick Edie Falco as a cameo when she really doesn't do anything yeah at least yet to make it even more disappointing i don't know if your listeners know how much we love the sopranos specifically probably me (laughs) being being as i live in in the city of the sopranos Mm -hmm. new york new jersey but i was so disappointed i was upset and i think that she's also having like a renaissance right now in a way because so many young people are watching the sopranos again so that's just disappointing for everyone you can't that's a clickbait that's yeah also her scene was cut from the many saints oh i don't even want to talk about it yeah it's upsetting justice for Edie in my life yeah have you seen nurse jackie rope i haven't i need to i don't really have time to watch tv these days true Maybe we start an Edie Falco corner. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would totally be on. I love her. She's, yeah, I think she's up there with Sarah Paulson for sure. She can do mm-hmm. no wrong. Defo. Mm-hmm. Well, we're very excited to see where impeachment will take us in these next coming weeks. This has been the Sarah Paulson Corner. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, how about let's end by. Everybody's saying their favorite queer character in the Murphyverse. Uh-oh, wait, this is not going to be enough time. <laughs> I have to think about it. My favorite I will start. Mine is a tie between, this isn't a character, this is a real person, the women in A Secret Love, <laughs> because Ryan Murphy didn't cast them and really he didn't play a part. So really you're not picking your favorite character, you're just <laughs> no. listing three. <laughs> and Blaine Anderson. <laughs> yeah, you took mine. I was gonna say Blaine just because Darren Chris is too good for Glee and he played Blaine so well. And he, yeah, I love Blaine. Mine is Quinn Fabray. We're all a touch homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to tell me that she's not gay or queer, then don't, I'll block you.
you're just wrong <laughs> incorrect <laughs> all right that's a great note to end on we have like no faith <laughs> oh god if you enjoyed this episode please do give us a follow or a rating wherever you listen to podcasts Tune in next time where we'll be talking about how all the music I know I learned from Ryan Murphy.